This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. The key to sustainable leadership lies in the ability to thrive in uncertainty, ambiguity, and change. Grand Heron International brings you the Coaching Assistance Program, giving your employees on-demand coaching to manage through a challenging situation and arrive at a solution. Visit grandheroninternational.ca slash podcast to learn more. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, a podcast dedicated to promoting leadership development and sharing leadership insights. Here's your host, the Leadership Accelerator, Eddie Turner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, the podcast dedicated to leadership development and insights. I'm your host, Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator. I work with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you wish you knew exactly what to say? Would it make you a better spouse, parent, or leader? My guest today is the expert with magic words. My guest is Phil Jones, and Phil is going to tell us how we can know exactly what to say so we can change our words and change our world. Phil is an international keynote speaker, sales expert, and business educator who is teaching the world to sell. Phil, welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast. Hey, Eddie. Thanks for inviting me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Man, I'm so excited to have you here. You've got a fascinating background. Can you just tell my listeners a little bit about your background? I mean, I don't know how far we want to go back, but um, I suppose I... <laughs> I, I've been in business for quite some time. So I started in my first business at just 14 years of age. I was knocking on the doors of my neighbors, asking them quite politely whether they would like to have their cars washed. Now, by the age of 15, my little car cleaning business was delivering me more money than many of my school teachers. So I, I kind of started with these entrepreneurial genes relatively early. Um, built a number of entrepreneurial businesses through my teens. At the age of 18, was faced with a dilemma of having an offer on the table for one of the most prestigious universities in my country, in the UK. Um, I didn't want to go. I wanted to get my education in the workplace. So at 18 years of age, I applied to, to join a number of graduate management training programs with some large retailers and kind of dispelled the myth that you need a degree to get a good job. And at 18, became the youngest ever sales manager for a business called Debenhams Department Stores that was a, the largest independent department store group in the UK. And there's a beautiful thing about being in a senior leadership position at the age of 18, and it's that you, you kind of don't know what you don't know. So in terms of getting results, I've just followed the protocol. I've learned from the people that had stepped there before me. I'd be curious and inquisitive towards the people that were crushing it, and then I'd take my cues from their clues. I did pretty well through the, through the corporate lens that way around, 
went from that role to open stores for them up and down in the country, went from there to, to run sales teams with the largest furniture retail business in the UK, went from there to become head of retail commercial director for two Premier League soccer clubs, went from there to uh, found a property business with a business partner of mine that turned over £240 million pounds at its peak. And that takes us through to about 2008 when the world changed a little. And my business that was great on a Monday had a product we couldn't give away by the Friday when the economic kind of downturn changed. We had the banks move against us, currency markets move against us, buyer confidence disappear too. So I I bought that business down. And and, and while I was figuring out what I wanted to do next, I continually got invited into Chambers of Commerce, BNI, small business networking groups, asking about what people could do to turn their business around when times were tough. So I started delivering seminars and training courses in and around that subject matter while I was figuring out what I wanted to do next. And um, 11 years on from there, I'm still doing a similar kind of thing and, and now written five best-selling books, spoken on 57 different countries, five continents, trained over 2 million people. But yes, yeah, still really, I only know how to do three things. I know how to get people to buy from you more often, get them to spend more money when they shop, or I help people find more customers. That, that's about it. Well, those are the only three things you know how to do. That is the envy of many people. Many of us wish we could just do one of those well. (laughs) You are truly included. So I want to tell people a little bit about how I know you, because you and I have a mutual dear friend who we love and adore, and that is the amazing Sylvie DiGiusto. You betcha. And she kept telling me, Eddie, we have this new guy who's just joined our chapter. You've got to meet him. His name is Phil Jones. He is incredible. And then I finally met you six months later. So you were already gold with me because anybody who Sylvie talks about like that is gold. You betcha. She's the best. She's awesome. So then you and I met and got connected uh, through the C-suite. And then we were uh, keynote speakers for the National Speakers Association's Winter Conference last year, 2018. By the way, congratulations on getting your certified speaking professional credential. You bet. That took some fun getting the paperwork completed. Yeah, no, that's a big deal. (laughs) So you joined the elite group of less than 15% of professional speakers in the world to have earned that designation. So that's phenomenal. So then I had heard all these great things about you, get a chance to meet you in person. And I'm like, wow, Phil's this good looking guy who's got this accent, that's a killer accent. And then you've got this strong sense of fashion. And then I got a chance to see that you're more than just a good looking guy with swag, as we say on this side of the pond, Phil. You gave that keynote and I went, wow, Phil is impressive. And I went on to learn that your book (laughs) that you wrote, you know, many of us would be happy if we made the Amazon bestseller list. You know, or the New York Times is like everyone's aspiration and Wall Street Journal. But the reality is the average self-published author only sells 250 copies of their book, quiet as it's kept. And the average published author only sells 2,000 copies. But you're not average. <laughs> Can you tell my listeners how many copies of your book you've sold? Um, as of last month, we probably just tipped over 385,000 copies. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> and that's across hard copy, uh, ebook, and audible downloads as well. Hey, everything counts. And that's just, that's staggering, Phil. Almost 400,000 copies around it, it, the world. 
exclude um, international as well. So we've been translated into, I think now, 23 different languages are all in the works. Oh, really? I didn't know that. So 23 languages? Yeah, so that's on top of that. So I have no transparency on on units through international copies at this stage. Okay, so we're only talking about 400,000 English copies. We don't know the numbers on the 23 other languages. You bet. Wow. Phil, that's just phenomenal. Congratulations. The, the big question, someone who's listening, who's a current author or a want-to-be author would probably ask is, how did you do that? <laughs> uh, yeah, fair question. Yes. And, and the answer is longer than what we have time for in this podcast. I think the, the short answer is, is one copy at a time. <laughs> uh, and I think it's important to, to be able to focus on that. And I think the other thing that people look towards is, is the focus for the majority of authors in my mind is wrong. Is, is what they look for is they look to be on the bestseller list. And, and selling books is easy. Getting people to read books is the real goal. So you want to be on the most read list and not on the most sold list because it's the reading of books that encourages the transfer of you should read this too type conversations. And that's what creates a perennial seller as opposed to something that is just sold to your immediate audience in the short term. So your goal should be focusing on how do I get a book into the hands of people that then go on to read it? I think part of the mastery in exactly what to say is, one, it's a universally applicable skill set. It's something that almost everybody has an interest in. So it's a beautiful niche that is acceptable by everybody. Secondly, the book can be read cover to cover in 60 or 75 minutes, which I think is a remarkably important way of packaging information in today's day and age. So not only do we get the books into hands of lots of people, but people finish it. When they finish it, they go on to be able to then share their stories around it with other people. I mean, I've never read a book and not felt smarter at the end of it. And when we feel smarter, we feel desired to be able to tell somebody. So um, there's a huge amount of word of mouth strategy stacks towards the, the success in that book too. Very well said, Phil. And I love the fact that you said we should desire to be on the most read list, not necessarily the most sold list. And you accomplished that because it is a quick read, but it's not just quick reading. You got some really solid morsels in the book and the structure. Tell our listeners a little bit about the structure of the book and how you came up with that, because I really like it. People, in my mind, want to read books because they want to take action on the back of it. My frustration as an avid reader of a business book through my entire life is I have to consume 50, 60, 70,000 words in order to find the three pages that actually had the action <laughs> yes. um, th- th- that would move me. Or, you know, I find the actionable insets in chapter one and then read the next 11 chapters to further reinforce what I was already told in chapter one. So, so I wanted something different to that. I wanted a book that also made the reader the star of the story as opposed to the author the star of the story. And the content in exactly what to say was not new ideas to me. So I've been teaching magic words and precise word choices to influence people to take action since 2009 to 2010. They've been key parts of my training programs and key parts of my keynotes. And they've always been the big takeaway. They've always been the one thing that people would go away talking about after the fact. So I knew I had to do more with it. In 2012, I had an invitation to go deliver a training for a large telecommunications company where they wanted me to deliver sales training advice towards their admin staff that were on the front line in the call centers. And they wanted a takeaway to be able to help support that that, that training session. So I wrote a two page PDF that I called magic words, the 17 words to influence and impact people. Like I think that was, that was what the, um, the, the title of it was at the time. And it was well received on the back of that training. Next day, I found myself in one of my mastermind groups with a group full of fellow speakers. And the topic of books came up and they were all saying how hard it was to get published. And bear in mind, this was 
2011, there was a lot less transparency on how you could become published easily at that point in time than there is today. And me and my big mouth got me into trouble that said, look, you could turn a book around in as little as seven days if you were so inclined. Seven days? Yeah. So my big mouth then meant I turned that (laughs) two-page PDF into a simple both published book and ebook called Magic Words using the same title. And I just fleshed out the two-page PDF and stuck a top and tail on it, turned it into a book, put it up into the Amazon store, emailed it out to my list, shared it with a few other people, run a few a free Kindle promotion. And, and, and 12 days later, we've got 120,000 downloads of the free copy of the book Incredible. Uh, and a boatload of sales. So, so Magic Words kind of existed in, in my library from that point in time. When I went through my geographic move from the UK to the US 2016, 2017, and knew that I wanted to be able to do more here, I was looking back at my my previous body of work with Magic Words being part of it, knowing that I wasn't that proud of it. Really? And, you know, it wasn't meant to be a flagship piece. It, it was produced under the pretense of how quickly can you turn a book around? It wasn't <laughs> how do I create my showpiece? So um, it, was, it was your dare piece. Yeah. So knowing that I was coming to the US, it was like, okay, I'm going to do a new book. And then I thought to myself, well, why why would I do a new book? Why don't I do the same as what I've always done, but do it better? Mm -hmm. So I took Magic Words and I rewrote it through the lens of what I now knew to be true. And I considered creating a number of very big ideas into a very small compact resource to tackle what I believe is one of the biggest challenges that people face in leadership, in sales, in conversation as a whole, which is finding the right words at the right time to move people to take the right action. And I rewrote the book in an afternoon. Mm. And what was fun about writing this book is I wasn't sharing any new ideas. The content was so familiar with me that the writing of the book was easy. This isn't to launch a new idea into a space, it's to punctuate a body of work that I was so deeply rooted in over a decade that, that crafting the content was, was pretty easy. But I wanted it to read like a story with the reader being the center of the attention, giving them like gold from the get-go, shooting the big guns first, like not, not trying to hide the key secret in, in, in any of the information as quickly as possible, just put it right out there up front. And then I edited it and re-edited it and re-edited it and re-edited it and re-edited it. And I spent six months re-editing the, uh, the manuscript really? to be able to trim all the fat, to be able to create a continuity in flow. And then I worked with one of the best hybrid publishers in the world, which is an organization called Page Two out in Vancouver, to be able to present the information in what we believe to be the most user-friendly formats possible. So we didn't do the typical, like, well, the line breaks there because that's how many words there were in a sentence. We created the white space where the white space was needed. We created the call-outs to be able to influence the right piece. We crafted this book like a tailor would craft a, a fine suit that you and I would know so well. Mm-hmm. Um, like that, that, That's the level of detail we went into to how this page flow works. And I wanted to make it look stunning. I wanted to make it look like it was something people were proud to own. And that was the work that went into, into building the book. The content was the easy part. The sculpting and the crafting of positioning was the challenge. Um, and I'm real proud of it. And, and now we are 23 months, 22 months into its journey. And, and my next move isn't write new book. My next move is, is how do I take exactly what to say and make it better? So we're going to do a second edition over the next 12 months that is going to turn good to better, better to better still, better to better still. Like that's my body of work. And when you study the success of, of any great artist, much of their success is anchored on taking one idea and continuing to refine it. It's not developing new idea after new idea after new idea. Well, I, I love the title, 
that you had for the first book, Magic Words, but now you've changed that. You went from one afternoon to six months of editing to new publisher, and it's now exactly what to say. The Magic Words for Influence and Impact. <laughs> and th think about why that pivot in word choices is even important in a title. Okay. And think about how that creates a leadership lesson too, is if I call the book Magic Words, I've told you what's inside the book. Not only that, is your subconscious brain says there's no such thing as magic words. It becomes counterintuitive. It's a label for a book. It's not a movement or an embodiment that puts you, the reader, at the center. Mm -hmm. So you don't want magic words. You want to know exactly what to say. Very nice. So if, you just, if, you just, if you just think about that from a human perspective, um, and, and I believe that pivot in title has been a significant part of its success, and it's also created me the ability to be able to expand upon the franchise of creating this exactly book series of exactly how to sell, exactly where to start, and, and exactly what I do next. Who knows? Yes. And so you've, you've become the chicken soup guy, but with a different title, right? And so I love that concept. I love your thought process. And you're right. It, it is a leadership lesson because we have to be able to reinvent ourselves and be able to step back sometimes with, with a new lens. And, and I think there's a really interesting point as we build on that too, is if I ask a room full of people, whether they want to be good at something better or something, or do their best at something, what do you think everybody in the room picks? That's a good question. What do they think? <laughs> they all want to do their best at things. We've even okay. said things to other people like, oh, don't worry, you've tried your best. Or we've even reached for the excuse ourselves like, oh, I was trying my best. Yet this shoot towards best is actually a complete pack of lies. Because how many times have you said the words to somebody, well, don't worry, you tried your best, but known that that wasn't true? How many times have you even mouthed the words yourself, I tried my best and knew that you had more to give? Like it is a mistake to be able to aim at doing your best. Our goal as leaders should be able to look at ourselves and look at everybody within our organization and have a continued focus on better. If the focus always remains on better, then what happens is you surpass what you currently believe is your best over a period of time. And it allows this ability to create permanent reinvention, which is what's required to be able to survive and certainly required to thrive in today's modern business climate. So my, my pivot to everybody is, is to look at everything that's important to you and don't say well, what does best look like. Don't focus on best practices. Get to work on saying what does better look like? What are the better practices that we can be working on that means that tomorrow is better than today? That's it. I love that, Phil. So don't focus on what is best. Focus on what's better because that pushes us into a space of continual improvement. You betcha. Well, thank you, Phil. So what I'd like to do now is just to pause for a moment for a word from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Eddie Turner, LLC. Organizations who need to accelerate the development of their leaders call Eddie Turner the Leadership Accelerator. Eddie works with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. Call Eddie Turner to help your leaders one-on-one -on -one as their coach or to inspire them as a group through the power of facilitation or a keynote address. Visit eddieturnerllc.com to learn more. This is Havan Gurma. I'm a disability rights lawyer, author, and speaker. You're listening to the Keep Leading podcast with Eddie Turner. Okay, everyone. We're back with Phil Jones. He's telling us how we can know exactly what to say so we can change our words and change our world. Phil, I'm enjoying our conversation. And again, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So, Phil, I want to continue our discussion about your book, Exactly What to Say. You've turned that into a series. And 
I personally have even benefited from your ability to wordsmith and to simplify things because when I wrote my book, uh, you were kind enough to take some time out of your schedule to help me with my thought process and help me with words and titles. So you truly are an expert. Now, you do a lot of things to help organizations, so much so that on your website, in your bio, you don't say that you're the speaker for every organization or the coach for every organization. You actually describe yourself as one of the most in-demand assets for corporations. Can you tell my audience what that means? One of the things I learned about the work that I'm good at is I enjoy building businesses, but what I enjoy more is helping other people build theirs. And put simply, my skill set sits in the area of making other people's train sets run faster. And by describing myself as, a, as an asset, I, I think that's how I sit. I'm a tool in a toolbox. I'm part of the team, but not part of the team. I'm like that, that magic guy on the bench that when you find yourself in times of trouble, you can call out and know that you have a secret weapon that can allow you to be able to overcome some of the challenges, but he swings in and he swings out again. And that's what companies use me for. They use me as, a, as like a fixer, I guess, a lot of the time, or to be able to help provide the route forward or the path ahead when they have some clouded judgments themselves or they have a problem they don't know how to work around. Excellent. So definitely want to make sure that we're going to talk about that in a little bit about how folks can reach out to you, get in contact with you so that you can help fix their organization. Now, going back to your series here, you were very kind, by the way, to send me all three copies of these books that I'm holding up. And I'm actually going to be sharing these with folks and making sure everybody has a chance to see these and read them uh, that are in my network. But if somebody is wondering which of the three should they start with, Phil, I've been telling people exactly what to say is what they should start with and then pick one of the other two to go into, read all three, but then in terms of picking their next choices, which would you say people should start with? It's it's an impossible question to be able to answer in truth. The three sit as a trifecta and can be read in any order. And they're designed to complement each other, but they don't necessarily need to be sequential. The sequence they were written in is worth considering in terms of timeline, which was exactly what to say, exactly how to sell and exactly where to start. But with that point in mind, exactly where you should start, if you're wondering right now, is is dependent upon where your given set of circumstances matters. Mm, If you are looking to be able to take what it is that you're doing right now and just say, hey, how do I have more effective conversations and how do I make my boat run faster? The quickest way to be able to test your feelings as to whether my work is a good fit for you is exactly what to say. It's the shortest read. It's the most instantly applicable. It's something that is is almost a condiment to what it is that you're doing. It's like the hot sauce that just adds to a meal. It's not the meal. That's where exactly what to say sits. If I look at the other two publications, exactly where to start is a great book if you're if you're kind of in a rut. Like you've got, you, you've been meaning to launch a podcast forever. You've been planning to be able to launch a new business idea. You're stuck wondering how do you lean forward with a new initiative that you've got a side hustle that you want to be able to make a reality. Like if you've got a big idea that you've been procrastinating on forever and you want to get it done, exactly where to start will give you a roadmap, precise actions, precise thought processes to be able to say, I'm going to turn this thing from an idea into real, not into bazillion dollars worth of success into it now exists for you to be able to refine it. And exactly how to sell is, is an instruction manual. It takes the art of salesmanship and it demystifies it to a simple set of tools 
that allows you to be able to prospect more effectively, allows you to have more effective questioning techniques to be able to qualify your consumers better, helps you be better prepared for your meetings, gives you frameworks to be able to enter into difficult conversations, helps you close more sales, helps you overcome objections. It gives you an understanding to what account management really looks like, helps you deal with that pot full of people that you've acquired over a period of time and turn them into a endless supply of, of ongoing business. So my answer to which you should read first is depending upon what you're currently in in the mood for being able to give some effort towards. Thank you. And if I'm not mistaken, exactly how to sell was in the windows of a very important store. All three of my books have, in fact, been in, in the windows of, of Barnes & Noble on Fifth Avenue in New York. And I think probably my, my biggest and most favorite accolade through any of my publications so far is, is the work that I've done with Audible. So I'm the first nonfiction author to have created a, a piece through the Audible original series recorded live in Audible's theater on Minerva Lane in, in New York City. So we recorded a full day sales training workshop there that was designed as an interactive experience that puts the listener of the Audible program now in the workshop without having to have ever had to be there. And we, we launched that this February. And that's getting getting real great reviews of, of teaching people to sell, but without them needing to have the constraints of, of physically attending a workshop or taking a day out of the office or covering up the, the airfare to be able to get somewhere. So that's called How to Persuade and Get Paid. Yes. So I was going to mention that. I'm glad you talked about that because it's one thing to have a book on Audible, but to have actually been recorded there in the theater and then the photos of people go to your website, they'll be able to see those photos. It's just, it was just a gorgeous setting that you had. And to do that live, man, what an accomplishment. Phil. <laughs> yeah. That was eight hours of recording all done in one take with no edits, no errors, no script, no PowerPoint, no notes, no prompts, interactive sessions recorded from 17 mics, live studio, live theater audience of 250 people. And I wanted that experience, one, to be able to demonstrate credibility, but two, to for the listener to be able to understand that they're not in this on the line. Like if you record a program that is you direct to somebody else, you're not hearing how other people might react. You're not getting the other voices that are involved that either show empathy to understanding things the same way that you do, or, or you can experience somebody else changing their mind. Mm-hmm. And that, that was my goal of being able to create this is, and also to demystify what sales training is. Like I, I have a real passion for changing the way that people think about salespeople. And it, it is glamorized and glorified in a way that is just ugly and crass. Um, and in today's modern world where, where integrity and trust are, are currencies that are, that are more valuable than almost anything else is the role of a sales professional is, is very, very different. And we're all selling something, whether it's a product, an idea, an outcome, a change. And knowing how to do that with some grace is a skill that frightens me that it might get missed. And when you look at the youth of today and understand why many of them aren't achieving what they're capable of, it's because of a fear of asking for the things that they want in life, because nobody takes the time to be able to teach people how to ask for things with grace. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's also something I was going to say. I don't want my listeners to think that the, the title exactly how to sell. The sales guide for non-sales professionals, don't let that mislead you. This is if you are a person that sells, and even if you don't think you're in sales, because as you just said, we are all selling something. So the other thing that I, I find interesting, Phil, is as an author myself, I am always excited when I have a reader send me a note or post something on social media about how they've used my book and how it's impacted them. I'm having sold 400,000 copies. I'm sure you've got tons of those stories. Is there one that may stand out the most to you about how someone has told you how one of your books has impacted them? Um, I, I, there isn't one that stands out. I get 
I know, seven to 10 a day of some form of outreach from somebody that either pays compliments to the book, but more importantly, talks about you know, a change that it's made. Some of my favorites, though, relate towards how people have picked up exactly what to say and, and not necessarily used it for commercial success, but they're like, oh, damn, like I've managed to get my kids to be able to do things that otherwise I found difficult, or I found a way of getting my husband to finally take the trash out. <laughs> Some of those things are a huge fun for me to be able to receive back. But the ones that I, I think move me most are when people move from a position of, of lacking in confidence to high levels of competence. Mm, I like that. And where what they have is like those penny drop revelation moments of like, oh, I thought this was harder than that. And I trusted what you said and I tried it and it worked and, and thank you. So I, you know, I received notes where people are like, I've been implementing the stuff that you've talked about and, and the incremental revenue has meant that we've now been able to pay for a vacation for the first time in seven years. And like, like that stuff is, is the thing that matters most. So when I receive a compliment on the book or I receive a compliment on any of my programs, my, my, my typical response is like, thank you so much for taking the time to, to write. Uh, you know, it means the world to me that you enjoyed the read, but what I'm most interested in is what have you done with it? Yes. If you haven't implemented yet, then, then come back to me when you've implemented. Tell me what's changed for you and let me know if you hit any resistance along the way. Yeah, and true confession here, I did not read your book as soon as I should have read it. And I realized after I read your book, the first one at least, exactly what to say, that I could have really, I probably lost business by not reading your book. <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been told that more than once. Yeah, they're like, ah, why did I not find this earlier? And I, you know, even in some of my reviews online is, is people say things like, if I had this book 20 years ago and I'd be in a very different position right now, et cetera. Yes, yes. This is one of those few books where as you're turning every page, you're like, Rats. I wish I'd known that. <laughs> I mean, it, it really is uh, really well written and it's a quick read. People can get to it and get what they need. And as you said earlier, they don't have to wait till chapter 13. Immediately as you're turning pages, there are ideas that are easy to implement, easy to share. You talked about how some parents have contacted you, some spouses have contacted you. This is the ultimate negotiation tool. <laughs> in fact, I got to make sure I keep this away from my wife so she doesn't start using it on me. <laughs> you, try, you try being the guy that wrote the book by that title. And that goes in, in husband-wife scenarios. Oh, gosh. So she starts quoting your own stuff back to you. Is that what's happening yeah, to you? I know, I, know, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. I can only imagine. Well, Excellent. Man, Phil, I could talk to you forever, man. There's one last question I got to ask you, and that is this idea that you've spoken in over 57 countries, you've delivered over 2,000 presentations, educated more than 2 million people. Is there a country that stands out? Is there some country that you were in, and, and I saw you were in Serbia, Morocco, you've been everywhere, and maybe something happened and you thought, wow, this is my place. My place is here in the United States of America, because you people get it like prepared to take action and committed to learning there is a, a desire and a hunger to you know to chase betterment more than anywhere else i think though my, my greatest fascination from from working in the variety of different cultures that i have done is the similarities that outweigh the differences mm, okay. like wh whether i'm in mauritius whether i'm here in the united states whether i'm in Tehran in Iran, whether I'm somewhere else in the Middle East, whether I'm in Singapore, whether I'm in London, whether I'm in France, Germany, Spain, it doesn't matter. The principles that exist are the same everywhere, which just reminds me of how important it is to, to see the world through the other person's lens and remember that all we're really looking to be able to do is to influence another human being. And human beings have way more similarities than they have differences. And that's been a joy. It's like people are like, what's different about being in this environment and that environment? And there are differences, but they are so minute. 
the heart of the issue still remains the same. And what everybody is looking for when you're in conversation with them at any point in time is, is show me that you know me. That, that, that's, that's what they want to be able to understand. And in any given negotiation, what the other person wants to understand is what's in it for me. Like, that's uh-huh. it. That's like, it. <laughs> it's as simple as that. You know, back that up with if you don't ask, you don't get. Like, know that to be true. If there's something you want in life, be prepared to ask for it. And if you want the secret to success in all of those things is, is ask nicely. It's that simple. <laughs> it, can be. it really can be. I mean, there's a lot of complexity to be able to do things with simplicity, but it's not any more any more unique than that. And I, I think we overcomplicate things with trying to trying to put everything in a box. Where really, this is people looking to help each other. So, Phil, you've given us a lot to think about in uh, this episode, and I really appreciate it. And I think the overall message to leaders from this episode is the fact that it all boils down to communication exactly what to say, when to say it, how to say it. And it needs to be something in every leader's toolkit. Is that how you would say it? I think I'd even simplify it further. And just remember that the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say is in the moment when you're saying it. My guess is that in every single organization from everybody listening to this podcast right now, there are conversations that happen that are almost para-fashion repeat. A question that is asked from your customers, a response in order to a typical inbound inquiry, the way in which you answer your telephones, the way in which you respond to uh, any of your team's inquiries, the way in which you sign off an email. Every single one of those communication touch points is essential, it's critical. Yet what the majority of people do is they make it up as they go along. What they're forgetting is the power of words, the power of communication, the power of conversation. And know this, it's questions that create conversations, that build relationships, that create opportunities that move to action. So if you're not controlling your conversation through questions, then what you're doing is you're leaving a whole host of influence on the table. Wow. I love that. If you're not controlling the questions, you're leaving a lot of influence on the table. Love that. Thank you very much, Phil. Now, on the Keep Leading podcast, we love to give our leaders a quote or story that they can use to help them keep leading. And I normally don't do this, but in this case, I want to actually share something one of your reviewers, you have over 500 reviewers just for exactly what to say alone. And one of them said something that I thought was really well put, and that's Matthew Kimberly. Yeah. He, he said, read this book once a day for a week, once a week for two months, then once a month until it all sticks. And I just thought, what, you can't get a better review than that. But what else would you say to leaders to help them keep leading? I have a simple philosophy on success, and I think I can sum it up in that success is created from doing the basics to a high standard consistently. That's it. And anytime anybody asks me as how they could be more successful, what we do is we dive into those three areas. It's getting brilliant with the basics, doing those basics to a high standard, and delivering them with the consistency. That'll get you anywhere you want to go. Do the basics to a high standard consistently. That's it. From Phil M. Jones. I love it. And by the way, I, we want to make sure everybody knows to look for Phil M. Jones because there's a lot of people named Phil Jones. And so where can my listeners find out more about the amazing Phil M. Jones? PhilMJones.com should get you there. Google search Phil Space M. Space Jones should find you just about anything that I produced. And if you want to connect and join the conversations, my advice would be find me either on Instagram, which is at Phil M. Jones UK, and that's me showing up in person, or similarly, um, search me out on LinkedIn. Love to be able to continue the conversation with you there. 
Thank you, Phil. We will make sure that that appears in the show notes. Going to make sure we share all three copies of your books so that people can connect to you, read your work, and book you to help their organization. Thank you again for being a guest on the Keep Leading Podcast, Phil. I've thoroughly enjoyed having you. My pleasure. Always love to be here. And uh, you keep doing great things too, buddy. Thank you, Phil. Well, that concludes this episode, everyone. I'm Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator, reminding you that leadership is not about our title or our position. Leadership is an activity. Leadership is action. It's not the case of once a leader, always a leader. It's not a garment we put on and take off. We must be a leader at our core and allow it to emanate in all we do. So, whatever you're doing, always keep leading. Thank you for listening to your host, Eddie Turner, on the Keep Leading Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the Keep Leading Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. For more information about Eddie Turner's work, please visit eddieturnerllc.com. Thank you for listening to C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.